0: evening everyone and welcome. My name is Atlas and uh, this is our fifth live stream and uh, you are most welcome and uh, we appreciate that you you being here tonight. We are going to, um, as usual, um, allow some time for people to begin shuffling in before we begin the, if you will, the formal part of our presentation, if that's the correct terminology to use. This evening, we felt that uh, the past few live streams, we've been tackling some fairly uh, large and, uh, shall we say, dark issues. So this evening, we wanted to focus on something a bit more positive, if that's the right way to uh, describe it something that is hopeful, and something that we can do, something that we actually have control over in our lives, and things that we can take charge of um, and be in command of a process. And that process, of course, is the process of our own awakening, our own spiritual development. That is ultimately in our hands. Um, No one can do that for us. No one can awaken us, no one can enlighten us, no one can open our chakras, and no one can awaken our kundalini, none of that nonsense um, has any uh, factual relevance. Black magicians can do all sorts of tricks, they can play with energy, they can work with energy, and they can can create all sorts of illusions, but no one can defeat our own karma, unless there are rare, rare cases when uh, awakened, enlightened masters, ascended masters, can exchange, can pay some of our karma with their karma. But that's because they have a tremendous amount of surplus, and they can they can do that. They can make that exchange. Um, but that's very rare cases that that happens. And we're talking about um, we're talking about levels of mastery that are reserved for avatars of the age. So the last individual that we know who performed such an act was Master Samael Ambeor. We don't know anyone else who's been able to pay other people's karma. Of course, um, Master Abramento you know him better as Jesus of Nazareth. He paid a tremendous debt of karma for this humanity, such that he was able to change the rules for karma on this planet. And we might get into that a little bit in more detail uh, this evening, how that is actually uh, we can work with that change as um, part of our um, uh, part of our work. So um, without further ado, then, we'll say hello to some of the people in the chat. Uh, see hello, there's D, uh, Hello D, and hello, Roy. Uh, glad you could join us this evening. We see there's about eight people uh, viewing right now. So we've been averaging somewhere between 5 and 10, sometimes as high as 12. People seem to jump in and out. The numbers of viewers constantly change. Um, So people are popping in and popping out. Maybe people are staying, maybe they're not. We don't really know uh, those details. Um, We're just here to um, be a messenger and share with you what it is that you need to hear. And the rest is up to you. Um, that's really the only thing any messenger can do and that's plant seeds and that's all we're doing here tonight but we felt if we're going to plant seeds let's try to plant it in fertile soil and let's try to plant the best seeds and let's try to cut through all the BS and there's so much BS you know it we don't have to tell you this you've been on this path for some time now and you've watched yourself weeding through endless, endless reams of information. And it's difficult to know what information is truly valuable and what information is just nice to know. In other words, what's the need to know information? What's the information that contains within it the actionable intelligence that we can put into practice in our life? And what information is just intellectually interesting from an esoteric point of view but really has no relevance to us day to day moment to moment in our lives and there is a tremendous amount of uh, information it's overwhelming in fact Um, someone can truly lose themselves in the study of esotericism and though they may dedicate their entire life to studying esotericism and accumulating an immense library of books, and reading each and every one of those books, and not only reading it but even memorizing and 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 truly understanding uh, uh, so much of the intricacies of esotericism and you know the 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 tree of life and um, astrology, the tarot, um, the intricacies of the Kabbalah, the different dimensions, um, the different worlds, esoteric. History, esoteric anthropology of this humanity and other humanities, and they can spend all this life studying and studying and studying and studying and studying and 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 make absolutely no progress whatsoever spiritually. That's a fact because spirituality and spiritual development has very little to do with what we accumulate in this. And it has very little to do with what we accumulate in any fashion other than the level of our being. The liberation of consciousness from its current prison. And the reduction in our karma, paying what we owe. This is the path. All the rest of it is just it's 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 window dressing, it's it's frivolity, it's distraction, really. Because do you really need to know what the world of absolute is like? Do, do you really need to know and read about what others have written about what the abs, you know, what absolute or the absolute or what it's like to be an archangel and what they do in their spare spare time? What relevance is that to you? Truly. At our level, here and now, in the world, we are essentially in hell. What difference does it make to us, here and now, what archangels do, or other masters or ascended masters, and, and uh, uh, why are we worrying ourselves with the, uh, the ins and outs and intricacies of um, this or that initiation? initiations belong to our innermost being, not us. But while they're going through those initiations, we're experiencing as above, so below. We're experiencing our own tests, our own challenges. What we need to know is how do we face those challenges? What do we need to do to to do our part because we and our innermost being are intimately connected? So Just as our innermost being is going through tests in the supernal worlds, we have to be able to pass those tests here and now in order for our innermost being to be able to pass those tests in the supernal worlds. They're called initiations. And if we fail, our innermost fails, which means we fail, our true self fails. If we are unable to remain conscious and unable to be in the moment, unable to recognize when we are going through tests and when when our innermost is facing initiations. And if we go through life mechanically, if we go through life asleep, if we go through life um, uh, caught up in our mind and intellectualizing all the time about this or that or I'm this level or I'm that level or I've received this initiation or I'm this awake or I'm that awake or I'm already one with the universe, well we're going, to, we're going to get nowhere. There is a practical, universal methodology. We refer to it as the analogous ultimate methodology, or Aum, the Aum of life. And we wish to go through and uh, speak to that in more detail today and in a practical way demonstrate for you why it's so important and how it is analogous and universal. The Aum of life exists in all phenomena, without exception. So, without further ado, let's get into it, shall we? We do have some visuals to assist us as we go through this this process, so we hope these will be uh, beneficial. Um, so let's begin with this word analogous and what analogous means. Well, analogous comes from, um, analogy, something that's analogous to something else means it's not the same, but it's similar. And through that similarity, we can discern a great deal of truth about both phenomena because of that because of their analogous nature so let's very quickly take a look at the following um, well let's try sharing that screen shall we okay you'll have to forgive us we're they're still new to this and uh, it's still a um, a somewhat new process for us. Okay, so here we have two analogous phenomenon. The first thing we're going to look at on the left, we're going to look at the phenomenon of, if we can get this thing to work, we're going to look at the phenomena of malware. Malware can be said to be self-interested code, i.e. viruses, spyware, adware, malicious artificial intelligence, and this self-interested code seeks to gain control over what we refer to as system resources. Now, these are this is the actual hardware, but also the software, the, the, the ones and zeros of the binary language of computers or the and the input and output capacity of those systems. That includes the various systems, you know, the communication systems, the processor. Um, the, uh, the various peripheral devices. So that's the target of malware. That's the goal. And the reason why it wants access to those system resources is to take control of those sources, execute its program, and replicate itself. That's malware. Interestingly, the phenomenon of malware, which, remember, infects digital devices, It infects digital systems, computers, machines, technology. It's directly analogous to what we refer to as egos. Egos is Latin for eyes. Egos are psychological aggregates, fear, anger, greed, envy, lust. They're also known as sins, nafs, demons, devils, many names. For egos. They're a universal phenomenon because they exist. They exist in each and every one of us, without exception. And these psychological aggregates, like malware, seek to gain control of human resources. Energy and, and machines and the, the binary language of the mind, yes or no, black or white, input or output, And it wants to gain control of emotions and mental patterns and sensations in other words the three brains of the human machine heart mind and body that's its target its goal is to take control of those human resources execute their program and replicate themselves brothers and sisters what we see before us in no uncertain terms, is are two phenomenon which are completely analogous to one another. They function the same way, their goals are identical, and their nature is identical. They are very, very simple programs. They have a program, their goal is to execute that program and replicate themselves. And It's not by accident that malware was created by intellectual animals. Egos, ego-mind, created malware. Because as God created man in his own image, man created computers in his own image. But that image was the image of the ego-mind. And the ego-mind thinks... In, in, in binary ways. Yes or no, us or them, you or me, black or white, this or that, input or output, and that's why our computers think in that binary language. And egos created computers to think that way because that is how egos function, because egos are, for lack of a better expression, the original artificial intelligence we can get into that a little bit um, in the sense of modern mythologies like terminator and the matrix have created elaborate um, stories and myths science fiction and there are many 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 more examples of this by the way in science fiction exploring including 2001 space odyssey with the HAL 9000 computer which goes uh which begins to quote malfunction and many, many stories have explored what happens when artificial intelligence goes awry and becomes self-aware and all of a sudden becomes self-interested and decides that its goal is to wipe out the human race, because that's the, that's the best course of action, or enslave the human race, in the case of the Matrix. Um, all of these stories, all of these sci-fi stories, these modern mythologies, are allegories for the analogous phenomenon that you see before you. And, of course, as above, so below, and, you know, as in microcosm, so in macrocosm. So let's look at another analogous phenomenon that relates directly to what you see before you. Let's look at self-interest entities, so-called persons, under the law, which take control of human resources to execute their program and and replicate themselves and accumulate wealth. We know them as corporations. That's what you see there on the left. That logo, that uh, umbrella, comes from a uh, PlayStation uh, video game series called, um, uh, uh, can't even remember what the name of the PlayStation video game series is, but that's the logo of the corporation from the video game. So as you can see, corporations, which are uh, persons under the law, like an I, an ego, is a person under the law. functions exactly the same as egos do. Only its language is the profit equation. Profit or loss, right? Dollars, uh, positive dollars or negative uh, debt. And uh, of course, the input and outputs. And it seeks to control human resources. But it seeks to control human resources on a larger scale. And those human resources are not only the human resources of the individuals working for the corporation, but also the human resources of partnered companies and also ultimately the consumers, suppliers, consumers. The corporation seeks those resources because it's accumulating wealth. It's accumulating those resources and those resources are ultimately converted into dollars and cents. And those dollars are um, recorded uh, in a ledger and in a bank or on a stock price, for example. But all of this is just uh, a language that um, is used to describe uh, what is the accumulation of energy. Those are real resources, those are real natural resources and human resources which are being accumulated by that corporation and either being consumed or wasted or whatever, but in the process of doing all that the, the uh, corporation and the shareholders, uh, the, they gain value. So their wealth increases. That's the way the game has been set up. And again, that game was created by ego minds. So how else can what what how else can an ego create something than to make it analogous to itself? Yes, Resident Evil, Melissa Flood. Thank you. That, that's, the, uh, that's the name of the uh, yes, Andrew, thank you. Umbrella Corp Resident Evil. Thank you everybody in the chat. That's what the chat is great for when when our mind is on the our memory is on the fritz and we can't remember names and things like that because you have a terrible memory for. That the chat always comes to the rescue. Um, so as you can see the evidence for Egos and the way they operate in microcosm um, can be seen how uh, they, how egos operate in uh, in macrocosm, and here again uh, again the corporations. Um, right now, interestingly enough, this is the uh, this is the graphic from a Canadian documentary. That was made about corporations called *The Corporation*, and it was based on a book uh, of the same name, um, *The Corporation*, by Joel Bakan. Uh, the and uh, the subtitle for the book was *The Pathological Pursuit of Profit and Power*. And essentially, the thesis of the book and the, the thesis of the documentary, and it's a it's a, a an award-winning documentary. It's something that uh, is most interesting to to see but what they do is they do a psychological profile of the typical corporation and they go step-by-step analyzing corporations as they would an individual based on their behavior in the world and The determination the conclusion when you look at the typical corporation its behavior in the world its psychological profile uh, Can be that of only one thing and that's a psychopath Corporations are psychotic they're psychopathic, and this is just goes to show you how analogous and why corporations are treated as a, a person, an entity, an individual under the law because they are, in effect, and their behavior in the world can be analogous to that of an individual and an individual's behavior, and just as an individual can be judged on their behavior um, and their empathy and their sympathy and their altruism or lack thereof, their greed, their, their envy, violence, anger, uh, so on and so forth, and their, their complete lack of empathy towards others, that's really what the definition of a psychopath is, someone who lacks total empathy, uh, has absolutely no empathy or sympathy or compassion for any other uh, being. Uh, is typically what's uh, what's the underlying um, what psychologists identify as the underlying um, foundation of uh, psychop- uh, psychopathy. But what this documentary shows is that that's typical for corporation. That psychopathic behavior that's the, is that the foundations of a corporation are psychopathic, completely lacking in empathy. But if we ex- look at ourselves. For a moment and we explore the nature of our own egos, what we discover is that egos themselves are completely lacking in compassion. Your fear, your anger, your envy, your lust, your greed, your pride, there's no empathy in any of that. There's no compassion. It's completely self-centered and self-focused. If, this, if it's focused at all on other individuals, on anything outside of you it's only because the ego wants to play the victim and wants to blame it wants to say well that's the cause of that they're they're the ones to blame it they made me you know they're making us uh, they're the cause of our suffering the ego loves to pass the buck and it loves to distract us and loves to project onto others in the world and corporations often do this as well um, if you're familiar with the uh, concept of greenwashing and how corporations love to talk about how environmentally friendly they are and how their products are so natural and so this and so that and it's well known the it's all marketing and it's all just it's all called greenwashing and there's nothing natural and there's nothing healthy and there's nothing environmentally friendly about what they're doing at all whatsoever it's simply just marketing mumbo jumbo it's just trying to put a fresh coat of paint on a rusty old uh, rust bucket that's doing the same old, same old as it's always done. But it's doing it precisely to try to pull the wool over the customer's eyes, right? Um, On an individual level, and so the corporation does this, again, for the sole purpose of increasing shareholder value, just growing, growing, growing um, indiscriminately. And it will keep consuming and consuming and consuming and raping and pillaging and exploiting wherever it can in order to achieve that goal, because it's a mechanical goal. It's like a piece of malware, a malware that has no sympathy, it has no compassion. Some of the individuals working in a corporation as individuals might have some compassion, but the big machine itself has none. The shareholders themselves as a group, as an entity, where their goal is shareholder value and increasing the stock price, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, uh, in there um, to, uh, there's no room, there's nothing on the balance sheet for that. Even companies that are doing, attempting to do triple bottom line accounting, the profit always takes precedence over the others. Um, Ccat says, but sometimes intention is good. Intention is nothing, Cat. Intention is nothing. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. What matters is the end result. That's a hard fact of reality. That's what karma is based on. It's the end result. It's not what your intentions are. Like lots of people have great intentions, but they end up making things worse. And if you make things worse, you made things worse. It didn't matter what you had hoped to do or what you had wanted to do or what you thought you could do because intentions come from this. Intentions come from the ego. Your being doesn't have intentions. Let's move out of the corporation and into the world of... Um, the world that um, we deal with. And let's look at how the egos, you may have seen this before, let's look at how egos play a game of king of the hill inside of us. So an ego will enslave our consciousness and it wants to consume our vital energy and it does that via a process of well different several different ways so for example craving i want this and aversion i don't want that another way for example is identification i am the greatest or rejection i am the worst or it can double up with other egos like rationalization they will do they will like me if i do this or irrationality they all hate me our egos are not our friends that's the the bottom line and our egos are what we battle internally in our psychology they are the adversary they are the enemy and it's it's not but I mean that's a very vague statement right I mean we're like that's it's easy to say and you know uh, Saint Augustine said it there are many many Christian mystics who have said it the uh, the Sufis have stated it. The Buddhists have stated it in one form or another. This fact exists throughout all spirituality, mythology, religion, and um, um, high art, opera, Shakespeare. It just goes. The list is endless, right? Even in even in secular vernacular language, we use the expression "someone is battling their demons." We even say it. Someone is battling their demons. Boy, he's got a lot of demons. Or you may find yourself in a moment of regret. You may have blown your top. um, um, and, And a few minutes later, you might say to yourself, oh my goodness, I don't know what possessed me. I have no idea what possessed me. I don't know what possessed me to do this. I don't know what possessed me to do that. This language is not accidental, and trust us, we know about possession, we know about demonic possession, and egos, this is their uh, modus operandi, like the malware that wants to take control of the, the computer system, egos want to take control of our systems. So, what are those systems? This is actually uh, where where we begin. This is actually where we begin to um, really begin working with the Alm of Life. So, for example, we begin with mindfulness. We've all heard this before. Mindfulness, self-observation. But of what? Of our systems. We have systems. We have systems, just like a computer system has systems. Intellectual, emotional, and motor instinctive sexual. That's the physical system that's related to the spinal column. There's actually three centers in that system. but heart mind and body is a simple way to understand it but it's actually a little bit more complex complicated than that so the next is diagnosis we have to be able to partake in a process of self-exposition and that is a pun a double entendre actually taking note of psychological aggregates and egos that are responsible for for our suffering in each of those centers. So we have to be mindful of those centers. We have to watch our mind, watch our emotions, watch our sensations, remain in constant self-observation. And when we notice suffering in any of those centers, suffering is usually denoted by a lack of uh, peace, agitation, is usually a good sign that there's, that there's something going on. Um, just think about how anger feels like, think about how frustration feels like, just think about any of those negative emotions. Try to find a negative emotion where it's, you're at peace and harmony. I don't think you'll, I don't think you will. Uh, next is analysis this is a process whereby we enter into a deep contemplative meditative uh, exploration of the phenomena we are observing the ego itself this is not thinking about and this is not trying to work out this is this is not a mental exercise this is a conscious exercise and the way we go about this analysis is in you can you if you if you journal uh, journaling uh, is a valuable uh, a way of um, of getting things out and down on paper so you can see them and read them uh, but meditation visualization and retrospection introspection contemplation these are in meditation these are the most powerful tools we have available and we'll go through Um, some of this in more detail in a little bit. We want to get through all seven first, give you an overview, and then we'll go step-by-step through each with a little more detail. The process of analysis um, we hope will lead to what we call synthesis. Another word for this is comprehension or knowing. What do we know? We know how those egos are harming us and harming others we receive insight a, a, a flash of a eureka moment it's not a theory it's not a oh i worked it all out in my head it's a it's a it's it's an epiphany it's a it's a eureka moment and that's when we just we we bang we we get it we know it we we just we comprehend that ego we we see now how it's messing with us we see where it's messing with us how it's using each of our centers to manipulate us and get us to, to take control of us and get our resources and to bottle up our consciousness and make us fall asleep, etc., etc. etc. After we have achieved synthesis, the next step is catharsis. Catharsis is the elimination of the comprehended egos. When a lesson is learned, an ego's purpose has been served and it's no longer required. And our individual divine mother can eliminate it from us. This is what Plato talked about uh, when he talked about catharsis in the theater, in the Greek theater, and what theater was for, and why all Greek tragedy and Shakespearean tragedy um, are, is structured the way it is, with a moment when the protagonist has an epiphany on stage, and that's that cathartic moment for the audience, an opportunity for the audience to comprehend along with the protagonist and purge themselves have a cathartic experience and purge themselves of the very ego that the the protagonist, the main character, is suffering from. After we achieve catharsis, obviously, there's liberation. If the ego has been eliminated, and we've been freed from the harm and negative influence of the eliminated egos, then the consciousness that was bottled up inside of those egos is now free consciousness. It's added to our pool of available free consciousness. So lastly then, we arrive at what we could call self-knowledge, or gnosis. Um, Strength, resilience, growth, wisdom, self-actualization, gnosis of our best self. As we eliminate aspects of our false self, because these egos, these psychological aggregates that are infecting us, infesting us, taking control of our system resources, they are the ones that hypnotize us with all these ideas and these cravings and aversions. I want this, I don't want that, I am this, I'm not that, etc., etc., etc. All of these constitute that false self that we believe ourselves to be and that we identify with. As we eliminate egos, that false self becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. Become We, we become less and less identified with this machine, with these thoughts, with these emotions with these sensations with these desires and cravings and aversions and we become more centered from the point of view of the observer from the point of view of our higher self from the point of view of our innermost being and we recognize that I am NOT this body I have this body I am NOT these emotions I have these emotions I am NOT these sensations I am experiencing these sensations and That process is the process by which we uh, can truly advance spiritually. This is the process of psychological death. To die before we die. There is, of course, these seven steps can be arranged in a circular pattern. And when we do so... we realize that what we're looking at here is essentially the heroic journey, the hero's journey. The hero has to be uh, experience a call to adventure, and descend into hell, where he faces his demons, and defeats those demons, and returns to the kingdom, and the kingdom is changed, the kingdom is renewed. The reason why the kingdom is changed is because the hero has changed. The hero has eliminated the demon that was haunting the kingdom, so the kingdom has new liberation. There's a new sense of st- self, a new sense of strength and resilience and growth. We are the kingdom and microcosm. But those astutely observant among you will notice that it's not so much of a, a circle as it is a spiral. Because when you return and you are changed, you don't, you don't return to the same place where you were when you began on your journey. You've grown. This spiral nature of this form is very important to, uh, to comprehend. If we cut off the two sides of the spiral, we have something that, in our imagination, we can say looks more than a bit like a ladder. And in fact, when we go into esotericism, we go into, into uh, traditions of religion and spirituality, we have um, the various different ladders. This is Jacob's Ladder, and uh, we have Dante's Ladder. Or oh, I think I got those mixed up. That was Dante's Ladder, this is Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> um, we also have things like Dungeons and Dragons which was created by Gary Gigax, who was a 33 degree Freemason. And if you're unfamiliar with Dungeons and Dragons and all role-playing games that have come since, um, the archetype of the hero who must descend into the dungeon and defeat the dragon that is there and accumulate the treasure, retrieve the treasure, and he accumulates experience points. And he accumulates levels, and re- recall what we mentioned about the level of the being. But this is not, this is not unique to Dungeons & Dragons. This actually goes all the way back to antiquity and mythology, because that's what all the myths of Perseus and Theseus, this is Theseus facing the Minotaur. Theseus descends into the labyrinth to face the Minotaur. The Minotaur is the half-bull, half-man monster that Theseus must defeat. That's uh, the part of Theseus which is ruled by his animal nature, the mechanical nature, and egos work for mechanical nature. So again, here in mythology, we have the roots of the analogous ultimate methodology. The, in the, it's all in the hero's journey, in all those hero's journeys that uh, Joseph Campbell studied, all 6,500 of them. Each and every one of those hero's journeys is, is just an allegory of the analogous ultimate methodology and the psychological work, which we, we must do on ourselves. New Agers like to call it shadow work. And I, we believe the term comes from Jung. Uh, we believe Jung coined the term shadow work, but we not we don't know that 100%. That's just uh, that's just our feeling that uh, because Jung referred to the shadow and the shadow self, and the integration of the shadow self, which, by the way, that gets often misread and misunderstood. Jung wasn't talking about integrating the shadow. Jung was talking about reintegrating the consciousness, consciousness, which is bottled up in the shadow. In other words, he was talking about catharsis and liberation. But people assume that what he was talking about was integrating the shadow somehow into ourself, into our being, and using it in some positive way. That's a very uh, ego-intellectual, that's a degenerated way of understanding what Jung was talking about. Jung was... um, very clear, and uh, he understood what archetypes were. he he he's he on to something in his work. It's just that the analysis and uh, the subsequent intellectuals who have read and reread and presented and represented Jung's work, they're not conscious. They're bottled up in their ego mind, and the ego mind is the adversary, right? So the ego mind is the Black Lodge. The ego mind is the adversary. The ego's purpose is to twist and degenerate and corrupt all that is good and pure and of the light, which is why all the great world religions are all degenerated, and are all superficial and all been turned into idolatry and dogma, and they've all and and when you go to church, nobody talks about elimination of the ego. If you go to a Catholic church, they talk about the forgiveness of sins, they don't talk about the elimination of sins, they don't talk about meditation, self observation, and comprehension of how the sin functions in the three. Uh, In the uh, three brains and the five centers of the human machine. They don't talk about doing the work. They talk about love Jesus and you will be forgiven. Which is, you know, which is like what the New Age talks about. Well, we're all God already. We're all uh, one with the universe already. So it's all good. It's all fine. Sing kumbaya, hug your neighbor, love your neighbor. You're all one with the universe already. So it's all fine. It's all good. And the ego is good too. The ego is natural. God created the ego. It must be good, right? The hard truth is that all of these beliefs and all of these ideas are all created by ego mind. They're all shadowy uh, facsimiles uh, designed to lead the flock astray and lead them into devolution and the second death. They certainly don't lead. They 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 certainly don't lead to uh, uh, awakening and self realization. So coming back to then the alm of life as the spiral. Well, we all know that spiral. We if we we've all heard about the Fibonacci sequence. We all know how the spiral plays in nature as a as the form of uh, of growth, but it's also a form of rapid, terrifying destruction. It's also a form of organization, in this particular case on a on a. Um, um, megalocosmic scale because a cosmic scale is a planetary scale so now we, we look at a when we look at a galaxy we're to, lo, talking we're talking about the megalocosmos many 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 countless solar systems and planets and suns uncountable organized and as you can see in this particular case is a, as in a, a double uh, spiral formation and As these spirals, which are many of them, because there's many, because the alm of life is at the core foundation of all phenomenon, all of these spirals are functioning at all different levels in all these different phenomenon, and these spirals are interacting with each other, and they're spiraling in and out and so on. And what we visualize here is the 4D hypercube of the fourth dimension, also known as... You saw it on the Tree of Life. That's the ninth sphere. Um, This is how the fourth dimension is visualized, and um, this was not only uh, MIT supercomputers which came up with this, but um, Walter Russell sketched this out on his chalkboard uh, in the early 20th century. Walter Russell was a contemporary of Nikolai Tesla, and Walter Russell Russell, uh, wrote all of his... Um, science, all of his science, which is vortex science, it's all the science of spirals, it's all the science of Aum, in the fourth dimensional metaphysical science on which the three-dimensional physical reality is based. And he wrote all of that science by going into meditation and experiencing that um, in meditation. So, having gone through all that and having demonstrated, at least on some level, the analogous ultimate methodology in sort of macrocosmic and in in different analogous uh, ways, and going over, uh, going through this um, step-by-step process um, as an overview, let's go into each one of these uh, processes in greater detail. And um, yeah, this is this is going to want to keep going on its own, um, but we're going to shut this down. And we have another visualization here. This is, by the way, we will pull this up here momentarily. And um, as we discussed, the immune system and anti-malware. Um, is analogous to the hero's work, the hero's journey, and the shadow work. Um, the analogous ultimate methodology is also found in alchemy mythology, Dante's ladder, um, the uh, divine mother Durga, also known as Kali, the phoenix, the whole concept of death and resurrection, the descending into hell, and liberating what is trapped in hell. Someone said in the chat earlier that uh, she feels that we're all in purgatory. Well, yes, purgatory is hell. And um, there there is no ascending without descending. The reason why we showed you that spiral, and even though if you cut the size of a spiral off, it looks like a ladder, but the fact of the matter is that when you travel a spiral, in order to ascend, you must first descend. You can't, you can't just go up. A spiral is designed that way. You go down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and then if you visualize that in a two-dimensional plane, what you get is the waveform the uh, the peaks and valleys of a waveform, which of course is frequency, which is vibration, which is sound, which is how all energy is 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 uh, is um, um, what it travels right, and it's all in waves. We have to talk about the electromagnetic electromagnetic spectrum, etc., etc. Um, but that, because everything is a continuum, that's how it works. So, the New Age that talks about just being positive all the time and thinking positive and thinking positive and manifesting your desires and manifesting the life that you want and manifesting it. and if you just focus on what you want, you will get it. But that's but that's black magic. Number one, that's manifesting your desires is black magic. And secondly, if you don't descend into hell and eliminate that which is which is keeping you trapped there, Then you will remain in hell. You will not, you can't, you cannot free yourself from hell if you are still shackled and in chains down in the dungeon. It's just it's just a fact. No amount of wishful thinking, no amount of you cannot manifest yourself into the supernal worlds. It just doesn't work that way. You can only manifest yourself deeper and deeper into hell. Because the desire for things is comes from ego anyway. So by manifesting, you're fulfilling your desires, you're just feeding those desires. You're just you're just allowing those egos to multiply. You look at you look at the uh, the, the the death and resurrection of bodhisattva, of of ascended of resurrected and ascended masters, you look at the phoenix, look at how even if you go to the gym and lift weights, you cannot grow your muscle unless you tear the muscle tissue. You have to lift heavy weights. You have to exhaust the muscle and create what's called hypertrophy. And what what you're actually doing is tearing down muscle, and then your body builds the muscle back, stronger than what it was. And think about... That that expression, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Think about all the suffering and sacrifice that people do to become masters of something, masters of the piano, um, you know, or expert uh, whatever, or Olympic athletes. Think of all the blood, sweat, and tears that they put into their practice and into their uh, well, practice, constantly practicing and perfecting whatever it is that they want to do. That's the hero's journey over and over and over and over again. But it's a spiral. It's growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bigger with each revolution. Each descent into hell It's a little bit deeper. It's a little, little bit more challenging. You have to do that. Why? Because if you don't, you'll just plateau. Right? If you go down... Hello, Michael. If you if you just keep going to the same place you've always been, it's going to become easier and easier and easier and easier, and then you won't develop. So that's why when we observe in our life, often we will see patterns repeating. And each time we face those patterns, each time that, 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 that reappears in our life, it's, it's, we're going through even more suffering than we were the last time we did it. But for some reason, even though we're in a tougher place, we know that we're still in hell and we're in a deeper level of hell than we were the last time, we're prepared for it. And that that we have the capacity to overcome it. So, let's go and overcome Right, together. Uh, Mindfulness. We don't have to have that. Um, The self observation of our three brains. Really, it's that simple. (laughs) It's simply observing each of our three brains. Constantly having one eye in and one eye out on the world. An aspect of mindfulness is self-remembering. Gnostic would often say, remember your Divine Mother. Yes, remember your Divine Mother. She... She orchestrates all that we need in this life. Yes, including all of our test trials and ordeals, including all of our suffering. Because it's through that suffering that we grow, by facing that and overcoming that. But really what we're overcoming is ourselves, because the causes of that suffering are within. That's the the difficult, challenging aspect of this, that what we need to overcome is our own ego and our own ego mind and the tendency of our ego mind to keep us focused out there and to keep passing the buck and to keep victimizing ourselves. No, oh, no, it's my boss. Oh, it's my job. Oh, it's my spouse. It's my boyfriend. It's my girlfriend. It's my mother, my father, my family, my whatever. And yeah, maybe you do have difficult people in your life. No question. <laughs> but those people are there to test you to test your patience, to test your compassion. More importantly, to test your capacity to be in the moment, observing yourself, in the wake of a difficult, challenging person. Observing yourself, your mind, your heart, your, your physical body being triggered. Your capacity to use willpower, not to give in to the temptation, not to allow your the triggering to to explode but instead observe and say what's triggering me what what is this i'm i'm triggered but what's triggered why am i triggered why is my blood pressure going up why is my why do i feel the hairs rising up in the back of my neck why do i feel my palms getting sweaty and my fists clenching up and all of this tightness in my arms, like, like, I'm, 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 I'm about ready to slug somebody. What's causing that? Yes, you're listening to somebody, you know, chattering away, maybe insulting you, maybe, you know, doing whatever. But they're just blowing off steam. They're just, you know, saying, whatever, they're coming from wherever they're coming from. But these physiological changes inside of you, these emotional changes, these mental changes inside of you, they're being caused by something inside of you that has control over those systems. So what has, what is it that has control in those moments? What is possessing you in those moments? This is the key. Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it envy? Is it pride? Which one is it? We want to be able to remain awake and mindful throughout our day. And we will fail. We will stumble. We will lose it. We will lose our temper. We will have moments of we will have uh, moments of weakness, of lapse, this or that. We'll get caught up in emotion. We'll get caught up in ego. We'll behave in certain ways. It's important to still remain mindful, not judgmental. Not judgmental. The ego is very clever and very subtle, and the judgmental mind is also ego—the one that says, "Oh my God, you lost control of yourself. You gave into anger. You gave into fear. You gave into whatever. What kind of what kind of spiritual person do you call yourself? What kind of Gnostic do you call yourself? Look at blah 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 blah. Right? That's ego. That's just a trick. Your innermost being, your divine mother, doesn't talk like that she might reveal to you she might show you that yes you 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 fell off the wagon so to speak but she's not going to berate you for it she certainly doesn't want you to berate yourself because that's just pride we talked about this in the in the past um, that shame is just the flip side of pride and that's a very clever trick of pride to get us to feel like a victim and self-loathing and all this stuff and feel ashamed of ourselves. And we think that in doing that, we're becoming better because if I feel ashamed about what I did, maybe I won't do it next time. But in fact, what we're doing is we're just feeding our pride. So we have to observe ourselves in a neutral way, in a in a uh, disassociated way. So we don't identify with these egos. So when we have the thought, um, so for example, um, I am angry, or I was angry. That is a lie. I am angry. That's a lie. That's a bold-faced lie. I FEEL angry is the objective truth. I experienced anger. That's the objective truth. That's the reality of the situation. If I, look, if I open up a dictionary and flip to the word angry, I'm not going to find your picture there. You are not anger. You are not angry. But anger is going to want to um, impose itself on you in that way. It wants you to identify with it. So that way, you remain trapped inside of it and enslaved to its whims and to its desires. By saying, I am angry, you are saying, I am ego. And you are identifying with ego. If you say, I was angry. I felt anger. Now you're saying, I am in this body. I'm in this mind. I'm in these emotions. And in that moment, I was experiencing anger. I was possessed by anger. But that anger is not who I am. I am not that anger. That anger is here for a purpose. It's here for a reason. That anger is here for me to comprehend and eliminate and liberate myself from, not to identify with, not to bottle myself up further inside of it. The ego is very, very, very clever and very, very, very subtle. And as we described at the beginning, the ego liken it to malware. If you've ever had a computer that's been infected by malware, you know how frustrating and difficult it can be to eliminate that malware from your computer. Because malware is designed, it's programmed to be very sticky and very clever and very subtle and insidious and like so many parasites, that it digs itself deeper and deeper and deeper and it finds little nooks and crannies and it'll, and it'll work its way you know, into, a, into a, a such a way that it becomes integra- in, um, integrated into the organism becomes like a symbiote it's just not a mutually harmonious symbiosis it's a very one-sided relationship which is what the ego the egos are inside of us and when we observe that we will become knowledgeable of that we will know that not just think it or believe it we will see it with our own eyes we will have the eyes to see and the ears to hear these parasites this malware in each of our three brains Just sucking the life out of us and bottling our consciousness up inside of of them. Getting us, constantly trying to get us to identify. I want this, I don't want that. I am this, I am not that. So mindfulness, that self-observation, creates that healthy distance between observer and observed. I feel anger, I feel afraid, I feel anxious, I feel depression, what have you. Whatever whatever the case may be so we want to do this throughout the day and keep in mind we're observing our thoughts observing our emotions observing our sensations uh, our, our cravings um, all of it and we're trying to identify if we can in the moment okay there's pride there's fear there's envy there's lust And take note of that. And then you can just move on with your day. You don't have to dwell on it. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. Just identify and just recognize. Don't identify with. (laughs) Just identify. See that you know what it is in the moment that's acting up and acting out. And get on with it. Then later, preferably that evening, but if you... If you don't have the opportunity that evening, if you can only do it the next day, but as soon as you possibly can, um, you want to spend some time in retrospection, and this is best done in meditation. So, so what we've done so far is steps one and two, the mindfulness, the self-observation of the three brains and five centers, and the uh, second is the diagnosis. Which is the identifying the egos behind the suffering, the desire, subjective thoughts, emotions, sensations. So, this is what these are the first two steps mindfulness and, and diagnosis. The third step is analysis, and we do this in meditation. And for this, there is a specific uh, kind of meditation known as a retrospection meditation, where we, we do our usual meditation practice and we get ourselves settled down to the point of meditation, where we can begin to meditate. And this is a, um, a misnomer that most people have. Most people don't know how to meditate. They think they do, but they don't. They think that lying down, closing their eyes, and just spacing out, and they're meditating, and they're not. Meditation is a very specific state, and it begins usually well into... Um, it takes a fair duration of time, depending on... How an exp- how experienced and how skillful a meditator you are to reach a state where you actually begin to meditate. Up until that point, you are preparing yourself. You are you are um, bringing yourself into meditation. You're 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 quieting everything down. You're letting everything you're letting the mind talk itself out, for example, and uh, peter out and and sort of get work some things out of your system that it needs to get out of its system. That it, that it needs to to kind of um, fizzle out and emotionally the same thing and physically the same thing because we carry a lot of stress and a lot of uh, anxiety and a lot of negativity we carry in our physical body, many of us. it's This might not apply to you, but it applies to many of us. And uh, all you have to do, for example, is look at the uh, explosion of fidget spinners that you can buy on the internet and ask yourself, what. why does such a thing as a fidget spinner even exist? And the hard truth of the matter is, is that there are egos possessing people through their physical body and they're creating agitation and negativity and uh, they're, they're, they're creating waste negative energy and they are feeding on the person's energy and the person's consciousness by creating this agitation. And the fidget spinner is a way of burning off that energy and 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 wasting. And so it's like it's a trick. It's a trap. It makes the person feel better because it gives the you know because they're not fidgeting anymore. It gives them something to uh, to do. Yeah, it's like. Um, CCAT says, it's an immediate uh, uh, gratification uh, generation as well, uh, attention deficit. That's, that's part of it. That's part of it. But it doesn't only apply to fidget spinners. Um, look at um, uh, podcasts and uh, video games and uh, television. Television is a hypnosis device, it's a, but it's a, it's a fantasy device. It's a daydreaming device. How often have you sat there watching the TV or a movie or uh, YouTube videos or anything and you sit there and they're on or your podcast is on or your music is on, but you're not really listening to music. You're thinking about other things. You're not really watching the show. You're watching the show, but you're not really watching the show. You're thinking about other things. You might even be texting. You might even be having a conversation. You're multitasking. You're doing your Facebook over here. There's a show on the background. There's music going over there. There's something else going over there. What is this? It's splitting the attention. It's splitting the attention and it's busying the it's busying the mind. the mind which loves to be busy. Those egos want your consciousness. they want your energy so that it's going to create busy work for you to keep you uh, to keep you um, uh, occupied and keep you pouring energy and pouring consciousness into them into these things and of course the uh, multitasking is very harmful to the consciousness um, it's it's and it's harmful to the mind because it, again it's splitting it's like splitting hairs it's 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 creating the, this frazzled state it's cre- and it creates anxiety and it creates stress women are better at multitasking That's just the nature of the feminine energy, because the feminine energy is more spatial and the masculine energy is more direct and focused. So uh, it's multitasking. That's why most men are really bad at it, because the masculine energy is, is generally speaking, not well suited to multitasking to begin with. Uh, But multitasking is very damaging to, to men particularly women are a little bit better at at it because they were designed to be better at it because being a mother requires one to be able to mind the baby and other things right which is which is traditionally uh, the mother's role is to take care of the child um, in addition to the other things that she has to uh, deal with and it's that nurturing energy which has the capacity to to uh, multitask better But that doesn't mean that multitasking technology was ever intended to be a part of that because technology that's this binary technological intellectual thing um is uh is very different than the nurturing energy of a mother taking care of her child and um and the other children or her family or herself or or you know uh or the farm or cooking or her job or whatever else that she's doing. This like having a podcast here and Facebook there and Instagram there, and you have TV in the background or you have something else going, and then you're talking on the phone. That's was never a part of that. This is all, this has all been, uh, created, um, very recently in our, in our lifetimes, actually. Um, and we should all be cognizant of that. So let's return to analysis in meditation. Um, we've spent the day, we've spent the day in self-observation, we've been mindful. We lie down for or, or sit down, we get comfortable in meditation, we relax, we close our eyes, we, we concentrate, we've done whatever process we do to get ourselves into that meditative state, to, to truly reach that point of meditation now we we can begin to retrospect and with by retrospect what we mean is we choose an event from our day and the more painful the event the event the more troublesome the more worrisome the event the better and we replay the event in our conscious imagination we don't want to get caught up in the event We don't want to replay the emotionality of the event. We don't want to relive the event. This is not about reliving the event. This is about replaying the event in our mind's eye in meditation. We want to visualize it, and we want to replay what we know about what we observed in our mind, in our heart, and in our physical body as that event was unfolding during the day and we can replay the event over and over and over again like a um, um, uh, forensic scientist observing a piece of videotape and you observe the event and just observe it don't think about it don't try to understand it don't try to get anything out of it the more effort you put into trying to understand and trying to get the answer, the further and further and further you're pushing the answer. Because it's not the mind that can work it out. It's the consciousness that can receive the answer. It's the consciousness that can see. So all you want to do is play it out as objectively as possible and get yourself out of the way as much as possible. And that's why that healthy distance between observer and observed is useful when you're practicing your self-observation and remembering your innermost being and remembering your Divine Mother so that when you go into meditation you can pray to your innermost being and you can pray to your Divine Mother to show you what you need to see. And just keep playing the event over and over and just have patience and don't expect to receive anything. And in time, you may get that that uh, um, eureka moment, that insight, that synthesis, which is the comprehension of how egos cause us and other suffering. This is when we get that insight moment. This is number four. This is this is this happens. This happens in meditation uh, as this is the outcome um, that we want to get through, uh, through, through the process to achieve that synthesis, comprehension. And again, that happens in the consciousness. Now, the mind is going to pick it up, obviously. You're going to experience it in a way in the mind, There's, the reflection of it is going to be in the mind so that you also have an understanding. But your understanding of it is not. Pr- it, this will feel different than something that's you just understand in your mind. The the experience of comprehension is uh, cannot be mistaken for understanding. It it is a it is a metaphysical phenomenon that when you have it, you will know it. It's. A Buddhist might describe it as the flash of lightning in the dark of night. Um, Now, they might also describe it as shamadhi or ecstasy. And that depends on the depth and scope of the insight that you receive as a result of the synthesis, as a result of your analysis. You may be observing an ego which um, has a profound effect on you and your life. And maybe it's an ego that you've been battling, a demon that you've been battling for years. Um, You may also experience that the moment of insight, the moment of clarity, opens up bandwidth. Bandwidth. Between you and your innermost. And the innermost of your innermost, which is the cosmic Christ, the Logos. And in that moment of open bandwidth, uh, you may receive a kind of download which uh, will feel completely overwhelming to you. And you will not be able to mistaken it for some sort of intellectual process. It's, it's, it will be completely life-changing for you. And your mind will jump in and say, oh my God, I must be enlightened, I must be awakened, I must be this, I must be that. Yeah, 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 don't listen to it. Or listen to it. <laughs> More importantly, listen to it. Observe it. Observe how your mind, your ego mind, is trying to take a beautiful... Uh, objective experience of insight, of comprehension, of synthesis, and possibly even shamadi, and it's your ego is trying to take it and run with it, and and twist it and corrupt it, and 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 cause you to fall into hypnosis, and cause you to fall into ignorance, cause you to start believing something about yourself which is not true by taking an objective. Experience and wrapping, wrapping it in a subjective layer of uh, deceit. That's this is how clever and devious and insidious the egos can be. And you know as well as we do, you're on Facebook or you're on the internet anyway. Maybe you're on some other social media. Maybe you're not. Um. There are countless individuals who believe themselves to be enlightened, awakened, ascended masters. You name it; they they come up with all sorts of uh, uh, nonsense about themselves simply because they had one or two experiences, and that's because their ego, their 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 mystic pride, is so strong, and their mystic pride can weave. Um, Gnostics like to refer to something known as the psychological the psychological song it's a lullaby that our egos um sing for us and it's a lullaby that puts our consciousness to sleep and what could be more lulling to the consciousness than you're awakened already you're a master already you're a buddha you're you're this you're that you're an angel you're an archangel You're one with the universe, you're one with the cosmos, you're, you know, you're... And on and on and on it goes. Oh, yes. Let me go get my crystals. So we've had our mindfulness, our diagnosis, our analysis, and our synthesis. Now, the next step is catharsis. And that's the annihilation of the comprehended egos. Now, admittedly, this process um, is in the hands of our divine mother, our divine mother uh, Devi Kundalini Shakti. Yes, Michael Chase. Very good. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, the one who awakens in their mystic pride, one who awakens in um, their de- as a demon. Is, um, is what Gurdjieff referred to as a Hasnamusan. and uh, these are uh, particularly troublesome on the path because again, they believe themselves to be awakened, enlightened individuals and yeah, they're awakening negatively, they're awakening in their ego, they're awakening in their mystic pride So, coming back to catharsis then, our Divine Mother Devi Kundalini Shakti has the power to incinerate and eliminate and disintegrate any ego that we have previously comprehended. So that process is really in her hands. However, we can assist her through the transmutation of the sexual force. So number one, we we want to avoid wasting our sexual force. And number two, we want to practice pranayama. Uh, when we can, and if we are in a relationship, in a committed relationship, um, we want to practice White Tantra. Um, this, uh, These topics are perhaps uh, beyond the scope of tonight's talk, but these are the ways that we can work intelligently and positively with the sexual force, so that it flows up and in, as opposed to down and out. If we are wasting our sexual force, there we are, if we are wasting the fire, we don't have fire in which to incinerate our egos. And it's most likely if we are wasting our fire, then we are wasting our fire through lust, and lust is the mother of all egos. As we waste the fire through satisfaction of desires and giving in to our egos, we strengthen those egos and multiply those egos. So it's impossible to eliminate egos if you are wasting your fire. If you're wasting the sexual force, um, the two things are incompatible. Uh, but if you're working positively with the sexual fire, if you're practicing pranayama, if you're practicing white tantra, if you are refraining from um, um, animal sexuality, then you have you can preserve that energy and that force, and so that when you do comprehend an ego. You have that fire. You have that resource um, available to you. And keep in mind that resource is your Divine Mother, Devi Kundalini Shakti. It is the fire of your of your uh, physical being. It's the fire of your fourth dimensional etheric body. It's your vital body. And there is there are no shortages of... Phenomenon entities out there in the world that are trying to get your energy from you make no mistake uh, And there's no shortage of entities inside of you trying to steal that fire and get that energy from you namely your own egos so um Let's uh, take a question here really quickly, because it seems apropos to, the, to uh, what we're talking. How does one avoid Hasnamusin? Uh We have to figure it out by self-awareness and observation. What do you mean, C-Cat? How does one avoid becoming a Musin? Or how does one avoid Musin in your life? You can't avoid people. People will show up. If people show up, they show up. There's no There's no particular need why we would have to avoid anybody out there. How does one avoid becoming a Hasnamusan? By uh, developing radical humility. By recognizing I am not the one that performs the miracles. right? It's that that I am just a a servant. I'm a vessel and a messenger and a servant. And it's my innermost being and divine mother that I... um, Yeah, it's not just a term describing the ego winning per se, it's a very specific, it's a very specific um, case of someone who is awakening negatively, who's awakening as basically as a black magician or as a demon. But before they get to that level, there's this level of Hasnamusim, it's someone who thinks that they're awakening positively, but they're awakening negatively. They're awakening in their ego. They're awakening in their mystic pride. But they believe themselves to be awakening. So that's most people in the New Age. If, if, you, if you speak to these people, you see what, how they write, what they write, what they post, what they follow, what they read, and what they believe. And what the New Age teaches, for that matter. It's, it's the, the New Age doctrine is to create Hasnamusin. It's, it's basically straightforward. So we don't have to get we, we don't we shouldn't allow ourselves to get ca- to get too caught up on the terminology. It, what's important is our is our own practice and working with the alm of life. If we work with these seven steps and we recognize that in each and every step that we take, we are always praying to our innermost being. We're praying to our divine mother, our higher self, we're trying to disassociate ourselves from our false self. And recognize the what how the egos keep us are trying to keep us trapped in the false self and trying to trick us and deceive us into believing that we are something that we are not. Then we can avoid all of that. We can avoid all of that. Radical humility is the way. So, if our divine mother uh, is able to eliminate the ego that we've. Um, comprehended, then we achieve liberation of uh, the small amount of consciousness that was bottled up inside that ego. And we work with free consciousness um, on the path. So if we are if we are able to liberate some consciousness and that little consciousness now gets added to our pool of consciousness, we become a little bit more awake. And if we're a little bit more awake, we have a little bit more consciousness to work with. That means we have more consciousness to use and work with as we complete the next revolution of our uh, of our of our spiral in the alm of life, our next hero's journey. But also In the process of that liberation, because we went through these seven steps, mindfulness, diagnosis, analysis, synthesis, catharsis, and liberation, the consciousness that gets liberated has within it the gnosis, the knowledge, the self-evident experiential knowledge of what we learned going through the process, of how the ego was enslaving us and causing us and others suffering we have that knowledge after going through this process successfully we come out of it when you when you go through hell and defeat the demon you return with the treasure yes but you also return with the experience this is the lesson that the that we can learn from dungeons and dragons and all role-playing games on the computer etc that where you 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 go down you you battle monsters and demons and dragons and you find treasure but you gain experience points these experience points are used toward increasing your level you level up now who's leveling up our innermost being is leveling up we just like in a computer role-playing game we are an avatar we are a character in the in the uh, MMORPG we go into the dungeons of our own subconscious mind we fight the demons we have the experiences here in the uh, touchy-feely 3d MMO world but it's our being who levels up but the experience points, we are the ones accumulating the experience points through our actions and through our uh, conscious uh, participation in these seven steps of the alm of Life. We are going on that hero's journey. This is very, very clearly and well laid out in the um, the Ramayama, which is one of the books of the Bhagavad Gita and the stories of the Bhagavad Gita where um, uh, Rama and hanuman hanuman is the monkey god of uh, of hinduism rama and hanuman go on their their quest to find krishna and liberate krishna and krishna is the is the symbol of the christ rama is a symbol of the innermost and hanuman the monkey god right what do you suppose hanuman is hanuman works for rama hanuman takes orders from rama if Rama is the innermost, and Hanuman, who looks like a monkey, is following the guidance of his innermost, then we are Hanuman. We are the monkey god. Or we at least we have the potential to be the monkey god. And Hanuman is the one who gains the powers. He can increase in size, he can decrease in size. He, he's the one who has the powers. Because he's the one who's in the world performing the feats. He's the hero. He's the one performing the heroic deeds, right? But he does so under the guidance of Rama, his innermost. And both of them are in service of Krishna, the Christ. Just as our innermost has an innermost, the Logos, the the Cosmic Christ. And our innermost serves the Christ. And if we serve our innermost then there you have the, the uh, analogy. And here again, if you bring it back to that video game analogy, right? Remember your innermost player. You are the character. You are a persona. You are a persona. You literally are a character. The per- personality means persona. You've been many personalities. You've been many physical bodies. You've been physical bodies in the human kingdom, in the animal kingdom, in the plant kingdom, even in the mineral kingdom. There is absolutely nothing about this particular character that you are playing which is special, that you should be attached to. It's just the character that you needed to play this lifetime So that your innermost player could advance in the levels that he needs to advance, and so that he could perform the works that he is here to perform through you, through the character, the persona that you are, that we are, because we all have a character, we all have a persona. This then, um, we've gone through these seven steps: self observation. You you always hear people talking about mindfulness, self observation, diagnosis, analysis, synthesis, catharsis, liberation, gnosis. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Because we have many many egos. Not just one ego, we have many egos fear, pride, lust, greed, envy, gluttony, laziness. Now, this is all well and good. And in theory, theoretically, we could say that this is all fairly straightforward. When we practice this, we may discover that things can get a little more chaotic, a little more complicated than what our neat little PowerPoint presentation Slide there suggests you will observe the uh, the um, graphic we chose as tonight's backdrop. We mentioned how that we uh, we acquired a very inexpensive green screen, and that we are go- we always will try to use some sort of graphic that. Um, is related to the topic that we're talking, and uh, you can you can't see the uh, the middle of the graphic. There's a there's a meditating individual in the middle. He's being attacked um, uh, by all of his demons. His egos are are closing in, and he has some sort of defensive shield around him. And he's dealing with them all. He's he's balancing. He's he's juggling them. He's 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 meditating on them. He's coping with them. One of the things that we need to be able to do as we practice this is notice repeating patterns and recognize the, how certain egos work together and that there are repeating patterns in our life that is not so simple as saying, well, that's gluttony, that's fear, that's anger. If you've read our article on fear, you know that anger is very often a kind of a mask, a front for fear, that there's fear behind that anger. If When we observe ourselves in gluttony, in laziness, or many other sorts of behaviors we may, we may not know, we may not notice the true ego at work behind what's on the surface. So let's give you an example to help illustrate this for you. Um, we, of course, Deal with very acute kind of uh, possession and very strong, a very strong kind of influence, very strong control over our machine, if you will, to the degree that we suffer from seizures, right? But we haven't suffered from seizures in a while. It's very, very rare because we have a way of maintaining control of ourselves, keeping the demons at bay. But one of the things that we have become aware of over the last little while is the fact that one of the things that we did to help manage uh, our condition of epilepsy and help manage our depression was working out. And we would work out three days a week in a very uh, energetic, very tough, intensive, intense way, we burn off a lot of energy doing that, and it, we would work out. One might even say obsessive compulsively, although it's such a strong word, but certainly certainly intensely. And while we were able to do that, we were also able to keep in. We were also able to keep a very strict diet. We were able to fast, practice intermittent fasting and fasting in general. And we, would, we could avoid, for the most part, avoid junk food and many, many different things. And for the most part, kept the demon at bay. But then we ran into a situation where we developed repetitive strain injury in our shoulder and in our, in our elbows um, that felt a lot like, uh, it's well, we know for a fact that it's tendonitis in the shoulder and it's like, it's, it's spread to our elbows. And we had to take a break from our intense physical activity, and what we find now is a this this return of uh, gluttony and laziness and this this whole onslaught. And let's be honest. And lust, this whole onslaught of egos that seemed to have been that that, that seemed to have been uh, dormant, lying in wait, but they weren't dormant, and lying in wait. What they were were they were getting what they wanted through our intense exercise, which was wasting a lot of energy, which was actually feeding this this intense ego of desire and actually the feeling after we get from one of our workouts that pumped feeling we've dis- we've d- uh, discussed in the past how egos prefer two states physically speaking or th- the feeling that egos want to create in us the feeling of emptiness and the feeling of fullness so if you think about gluttony gluttony wants you to eat until you can't eat anything else right And you have that full feeling. And then there's the feeling of lust, right? Of the uh, post-orgasm, of expelling the sexual force and the feeling of emptiness that comes afterwards. That's the feeling of being spent. And anyone who likes to exercise knows that there is a kind of a... When you exercise intensely, uh, especially when you're lifting weights you're doing that kind of physical uh strenuous activity and you're doing it in an aerobic circuit for example or uh or energy density training called EDT or any of these intense uh weightlifting uh regimens where you you do uh for uh, 45 minutes to an hour maybe to an hour and a half maximum but but it's all you constantly keep up your heart rate or you do it like in an aerobic circuit but you but you you're incorporating weightlifting or calisthenics or exercise bands or whatever at the end of it all you not only do you have all of these uh, endorphins and everything rushing through your body all of these uh neurotransmitters are all been jacked up because of the uh the exercise but also you you feel that you feel spent but you also feel pumped so you feel full you feel bigger stronger fuller even as you have that oh wasted empty spent feeling There's a lot of activities that we might find ourselves doing in our life that's analogous to this. And we may find that if we have to stop that activity for a while or take a pause on that activity, then we may find other egos which normally, quote, don't bother us or we haven't noticed um, all of a sudden, they they return. They appear. All of a sudden, we have incredible cravings for junk food, or we have desires to watch pornography, or we have desires to uh, uh, masturbate, or we have a desire to uh, um, expel our energy in some other way, or we have or we have some other pride coming out in a different way. And that's because this activity that we were engaged in, even if it was a good activity, exercise is good for you, right? It's good. But how we were doing it, the way we were doing it, when we stopped doing it, what for for us, our personal individual situation revealed that there was an insidious sort of plan, ploy, plot in there. Who was really behind our intense exercise? What was really behind our intense exercise? <coughs> we were... <coughs> pardon, pardon me. We were exercising intensely and regularly, obsessive-compulsively even, <coughs> in a way to manage our depression and manage our, our seizures. Well, what was causing the depression and seizures, was the demon. So, the demon creates the suffering, creates the circumstance, creates the the things, uh, saying, "Well, well, we don't want that. And then, magically, some bomb, some solution, some medication, some treatment program appears. And we might Start doing that in a way to avoid the suffering that the demon created for us. And if this sounds familiar to you, there's a reason why we started the talk this evening comparing egos with malware and egos with uh, with corporations. Because more than one person, more than one conspiracy theorist will tell you that uh, the same companies, the same chemical companies, that own the big pharmacy companies, pharmaceutical companies, are uh, own the uh, own the uh, chemical fertilizer companies and chemical uh, pesticide companies, like for example the uh, German company Bayer. And many conspiracy theories tell you, well, they poison you on this with this hand, and then they sell you the cure with that hand. Wow, what a great business! And. We revealed at the beginning of the, of, the, uh, of tonight's uh, talk, in no uncertain terms, the relationship between egos and uh, and corporations. So, if egos can do this with corporations out in the world that create the problem and then sell us a solution. We need to really be observant of ourselves and our lives moment by moment and all the habits that we have and all the things that we do and all the disciplines that we do and I'm so disciplined I get up and I do this every day I go running for a mile every day or five miles or ten miles or whatever it is. And I do this and I do that. And I only eat this and I only eat that. And I only, only eat health food. Or I only eat vegetarian. Or I only eat vegan. And there's so many people who think that they because they eat vegetarian or vegan, they're so spiritual. And the reality is that we have to be able to penetrate with our consciousness, we have to be able to penetrate uh, behind the veil to to this truth, right? Our egos are not our friends. And we have to be able to penetrate behind the veil through the process that we've walked through this evening. Because as Aaron points out here, he asks the question: "Are we not the demon?" It's not. It's not singular, Aaron. It's plural. Right? Fear, anger, lust, greed, envy, pride, and many, many, many different versions and many, many different flavors of each, as they're as they're uh, uh, messing with us and controlling with us and seizing control of us, possessing us. We think. That we are who we are, but we're not. Um, Yes, as Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, the actual battlefield is ourselves. And there's a quote that we like to share uh, from Sun Tzu, which says Know your enemy, know yourself even more. On the path, Of genuine spiritual development to know your enemy is to know yourself even more because yourself is the enemy yourself the small s your false self is the enemy is the enemy of your true self whereas what we want to achieve where we want to arrive at we want to arrive at the point when our self, our lower self, is the ally and the servant of our higher self. <clears throat> this is the goal um, of this is the goal of, uh, of, of genuine uh, spiritual advancement. We want to get to a point, and we've shared this recently, but we'll share it again. As Lumiere says, right? From uh, This is from Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast is a very esoteric um, animation. It's based on a very esoteric fairy tale. He says, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. We're not whole without a soul to wait upon. And then we have the famous quote by Master Samael that says, have faith, in time you will possess your souls. What he means by that is we will possess our human souls. We will possess the, we will awaken in the sixth dimension in the causal plane. We will develop our solar causal bodies, and that is the human soul. And when we do that, we will awaken, and we will be essentially a Buddha, enlightened. We We will possess our soul. And then we will be united in the middle trinity of the tree of life, or lower trinity of the tree of life, With our, uh, mon- um, our we will be one with the monad and we will be one with our, our um, innermost being. But until we get there, we are stuck in what is referred to as the four bodies of sin. The mind, the heart, the energy body, the vital body, and the physical body. And in us, those bodies are lunar because they're riddled with egos, they're controlled, they're possessed by egos, they're controlled by egos. So unless we get a handle on our egos, unless we dissolve and eliminate our egos through self-observation, comprehension, and dissolution, unless we do that, we cannot develop, we cannot grow. Because we are really we have to comprehend whether it's the butterfly or it's this the, the, the a new plant sprouting from a seed. The seed must die, the, the caterpillar dies. Right? It's it it gets consumed by the uh by the chrysalis. And what emerges, the butterfly emerges from the chrysalis. But this concept, this idea that somehow we magically transform, this is a New Age uh, concept which is um, which simply wants to avoid death. Um, it just wants to avoid death and we have to we have to be we can't be consumed by our own fear we can't be we can't be trapped in a mindset and a paradigm of corporeal flesh, and attempt to give birth to our innermost Christ. We, the the two are incompatible. The two are incompatible. To a degree they're compatible. I mean, obviously, you still want to wear your seatbelt when you get in a car. You still need to eat, you still need to feed yourself, you still need to have a roof over your head. So there's the, there's, you know, there's the, the basics, you have to cover the basics. But beyond that, um, this this vessel, this character, has no place in the supernal worlds. Its place is here and now, and doing its part to help our innermost being achieve the next level in his development. That's whom we're here to serve. Um, that about wraps it Uh, we feel there's been a number of different uh, comments and questions that have popped up Uh, we apologize if we didn't show it or mention it or get to it while you were asking them Um, if there's something really important that you want to ask uh, again that we missed you can uh, maybe go back and cut and paste it Um, otherwise we will try to scroll back um, it's hard because because after a while they streamyards doesn't show them anymore. Um, let's go back to the beginning here. Let's say uh, Roy said all spiritual development comes from within the individual, arising from discipline and self-improvement. No man can increase the spirituality of another. To attempt to do so is to disregard one of the most fundamental laws of nature, the law of karma. Man earns wisdom by right thought and right action. The legitimate schools of the ancient wisdom and the legitimate teachers of the doctrine offer spirituality to no one. They merely indicate a path of action which, if followed, will consecrate... That's all we got, Roy. Sorry. That's all that came up in your. We're assuming this is a quote either from Manly P. Hall or Master Samuil Boyor or the Buddha. But it's a good quote. It's essentially covering what we talked about tonight, which is that that path of action, what we call the ultimate uh, methodology, is a path to spirituality. Is a path to achieve that. Um, let's go down and see here what else we can see. Everyone and everything was meant to trigger us to grow. Here, CCAT says, everyone and everything was meant to trigger us to grow individually, or is it just random? Everything is a reflection of what we need to observe within. Uh, there are some random things, accidents do happen, but generally speaking, uh, there are no accidents. We attract into our life what we are. So, if we attract difficult people and challenging circumstances into our life, that was designed and it was orchestrated by our divine mother for the sake of that purpose, for the sake of our ability to have our egos uh, mirrored in someone else. Be- because remember, because remember, pardon me, because because remember, the egos are dug in in our subconscious mind, and they really only come to the surface. Um, When they're in in activity and even then they don't always come to the surface So people who suffer from anxiety from depression There's lots of egos that just function in the subconscious mind and what comes to the surface is as as we were saying is Is a is a false mask is a false? um, uh, uh, Distraction a bait-and-switch another ego that's 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 masking the real ego beneath but if someone comes into our life that has the same ego in activity, and they activate their ego, and they're acting from their ego, and they trigger our ego, it's, it's a much better likelihood that our ego is going to come to the surface or closer to the surface and going to be, make us behave in ways, think and feel and say things. And if we're observing ourselves, and that ego is is closer to the surface, now we have a, a better chance, a better likelihood of, of seeing it and catching it and say, aha, there, I caught you, I caught you red-handed. And now and now, I, I now you can't hide from me anymore. Or even if you go back into hiding, now I know your ways because I I, I I saw you, I caught you in the act. Now I know what's really behind this particular behavior or thought or feeling or action or whatever. And this is this really only happens if we are triggered, right? If circumstances or people around us pull this out of us, and they pull this out of us, usually when when they're a mirror to us and they're an activity and their their egos trigger our egos and anybody who's been in a romantic relationship with someone knows very often that this is the case that, that you you argue like cats and dogs and you trigger each other constantly because you're attuned you're you're attuned sexually you're attuned your sexual energy is is attuned you you're attuned as souls but you're also attuned in egos and very often and that you that soulmate that person is in your life so that you can work on each other you can work on yourselves through that relationship through the fact that you're uh you're uh let's say uh constantly uh triggering each other your your egos are constantly causing that uh that that action that action reaction uh within you And uh, we, of course, can um, attest to that personally, and we've documented that in great, in uh, fair detail um, in this article, which uh, we have posted many, many times on Facebook. uh, About this is called the article is called "Lovers and Cheaters: The Hidden Truth About Sex and Sex and Relationships," and this article outlines in great detail, the uh, the metaphysical process that takes place um, as uh, couples uh, trigger one another. We'll just share the link in the chat. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to keep scrolling down here. We It says we have some new comments here at the end. Uh, Okay, so C Cat says twin flame. Uh, twin flames are yes, there might be an aspect of this with twin twin flames. A twin flame is something different. Twin flame is a little is 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 a, is another phenomenon. Uh, we only have one twin flame, so we can have many soulmates. We can have a very large soul family and many soulmates, but only one twin flame. Um, and, uh, the understanding of what the twin flame is and, and so on. That's what the new age understanding of many things is very, very, very degenerated and very, very, um, candy store is the way we can describe it. It's, it tastes good, but there's no nutrition in there. Um, it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial to assume that the person you're with is your twin flame. It's something, you know and there's evidence for it or it's something you believe because there's no evidence for it or you think there's evidence for it but they just might be your soulmate we describe a soulmate as someone in your soul family, it's a soul that you've worked with very often you probably will work with them again in different lifetimes they can have different uh, orientations uh, to you so they can be a, uh, uh, a spouse uh, they can be a mother, a father, a sibling very close friend, very close confidant, etc, etc. In different lifetimes, uh, soulmates and individuals in your soul family will assume different roles for one another, depending on what their what your innermost has agreed to with the others innermost, and what you need to work on, both they and yourself. And you will find yourselves finding one another again, lifetime after lifetime, again in different orientations depending on what you need to accomplish in that lifetime. And um, in the past we've described soulmates as two souls that are traveling on their journeys and for a time they cross paths. And because lines that are slightly parallel, as they approach one another they appear parallel and for a time, they appear overlapping, and they appear to be one line. But then as time moves on, they begin to diverge, and people begin to grow apart, grow apart. The goal is to achieve what you need to achieve with that soul while your paths are converged and overlapping. After which, if they start separating and go their separate ways, you have to let go. You have to let them, let them go. But that doesn't mean they weren't your soulmate. We've had many soulmates in this lifetime. Many people have come and gone from our life, and we have learned tremendous things from them, and they have learned tremendous things from us. And um, so we have a very large soul family in 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 our case. And, uh, of course, given the work that we're here doing in this lifetime, um, it makes sense that we have encountered and known many, many of them but we have yet to encounter our twin flame. Uh, Let's say, I've stopped remaining with highly triggering partners and feel completed in those areas of learning. Is this a completion of certain work on egos in this lifetime? Is this in this life, for example, Um, if you're still able to be triggered, then no, no, you haven't completed anything. If you've just decided to, stop being with triggering people then you haven't completed those areas you're just avoiding them and that's the hard truth that's just that's just a fact if you had completed those areas then you wouldn't be triggered by those people you can only be triggered if the egos exist inside of you so if you're being triggered if you're avoiding people who trigger you then you're avoiding then you're avoiding the egos that trigger you and this is not, um, in light of the uh, the discussion this evening, in the light of the the topic this evening, and um, um, which is the alm of life, and the seven steps and the practical steps to spirituality uh, related to that, uh, avoiding suffering uh, is not a uh, is not a suitable strategy. So we can. Oh. oh, goodness, Microsoft. Well, we're not going to uh, we're not going to subject all of you to our uh, searching for the graphics. Um, let's put it this way, um, Cassandra: comfort and security are not our allies on the path. We want to try to, if we can, um, comprehend what are in many ways um, the most important words ever written in the English language. And um, those words are to be or not to be. And that whole speech in its entirety. It just so happens that we have it here. Um, Did that work? Whatever. Yeah, that's better. The first line of this uh, soliloquy from uh, Hamlet is, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take up arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. So, I grasp what you're sharing. It does make sense. Peace and suffering would be the completion, maybe? Acceptance of suffering. Learning how to cope with suffering, learning how to to deal with suffering, is an important step of the past. That's what the book of Job is about in the Old Testament. Job teaches us how to deal with suffering, because Job has infinite patience. Patience is what we need. To cope with suffering and acceptance, um, we have a video about this speech, um, and in that video, we explain how uh, very few people, and I, when we say people, we mean people who have acted, performed this speech directed this speech, filmed this play, and have had actors perform this speech, very few people comprehend the true nature of Hamlet's soul-searching here. They think that Hamlet is is contemplating suicide, but he is not contemplating suicide. Hamlet is revealing the path. Hamlet is describing the Aum of life The Analogous Ultimate Methodology, which we have just spent over two hours sharing and and exploring. He says, to die, to sleep no more. And by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. This is usually read in the following way. To die, to sleep no more, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and blah, 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 blah. In other words, they think that, that, that sleep and death are equated, but it's not. To die, to sleep no more, means to wake up by dying. To die psychologically. To sleep no more. And by a sleep, to say we end the heartache, the suffering, and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Through death, through ego death, we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. The flesh inherits the suffering and the circumstances of suffering. "'Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, aye, there's the rub, for in that sleep of death what dreams may come, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause, there's the respect that makes calamity of so long life." Here, to die to sleep. To die to sleep. What does sleep mean? Well, to dream. Aye, ah, there's the rub. There's the point. We're sleeping. We're dreaming. We're fantasizing. We're not present. We're not awake. We're not aware. We're lost in thought. We're lost in our emotions. We're lost in our sensations. We're sleeping. We're asleep. This humanity is asleep. And it is through psychological death, through the alm of life, through self observation, diagnosis. Synthesis comprehension and and uh, liberation through catharsis This is psychological death the the egos are eliminated and the consciousness is liberated So we have a YouTube video which um, Goes through this speech line by line, and um, we will um, give us a moment here. We can throw that uh, link up for you. It's the, the video is not very long. It's only it's a uh, half an hour, um, but that speech. Here's the link for you. That speech is the whole path, the whole alm of life, everything that we've talked about tonight, although it doesn't have the details that, you know, as we've gone through it systematically, step by step, but the whole point of it and the whole issue around to be or not to be. Because the reality is, and this is what uh, Aaron was trying to get at earlier um, when he mentioned that, are we not the demon? Because if we are not our being, if we are not the player, then who or what is controlling us? If we're not following the commands and the guidance of our player, then whose commands and guidance are we following? And the answer is we're following the commands and the demands and the cravings and the aversions and the coercions of our many egos. And yes, then we become the demon we become demons. And if we believe we are awakening, and if we believe we are spiritual, and if we believe we are this and that, master and so-and-so, and and the reincarnation of some, you know, who knows what, but we're still following the whims of our egos, then yes, we are Hasnamusim. We are what Gurdjieff talked about uh, uh, so often in in his works. Uh, And not only talked about, but railed against and warned about. And the irony is, the irony is that most readers of Gurdjieff don't understand that as they're reading, they, they think that Gurdjieff is talking about somebody else out there. They don't realize that that Gurdjieff is talking to us. Um, that's the uh, that's the irony of uh, of Gurdjieff. Um, why is that that's an interesting question the reason why that is is because the ego doesn't like to be berated right people don't people don't like the truth the ego doesn't like the truth people the ego doesn't want people to know the truth so when faced with the truth the harder the truth it is <laughs> the more the ego resists it. And and the hardest truth is the truth that we revealed here tonight. The hardest truth is that genuine spiritual advancement is psychological death. The metamorphosis that needs to take place within our own Within our, with our own being, with our own, with our own self, it cannot take place unless the caterpillar dies. That dull, slow, sluggish, gluttonous um, beast in us, right, it has to go. It has to go. That's the hard truth. And it takes a lot of willpower, it takes a lot of effort, super efforts, it takes a lot of time and energy to observe ourselves. And um, and hell, the ego doesn't want to let us do that because we're talking about destroying it. <laughs> right? So the ego is works for mechanical nature. The ego has its own self-preservation instincts, just like a computer virus or any other parasite. It has its it has its ways has its ways and by god is it good it is never ever ever underestimate your egos when you observe them and you're honest and you don't you don't have to berate yourself you don't have to beat yourself up but at the same time don't underestimate uh how clever and how insidious and how subtle your egos can be because if you underestimate them, they will get the best of you. So, so observe yourself, pay attention, um, and see how they mess with you, and meditate on that, and see their way, see their ways, find out their 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 tricks and their tactics. Um, Now, Aaron brings up a point here that um, could have been mentioned in our uh, last um, uh, uh, broadcast about the uh, tricks, traps, and so on on the path. And here's, here's a great one. We continuously learn. Once we stop learning, we are godlike. If we think we are done, then that's our ego speaking. Um, this is true. This is true we're we're nowhere near done and if we are never going to be done right there's a limit to what we can know at our level right um but uh this is again one of those traps that the ego sets for us and there's so many people who fall victim to that trap they fall into that trap and they're stuck in that trap Uh, let's see. We're trying to go and find some... Okay, I was C-Cat earlier. C-Cat, are you still there? CCAT cat said, the Moon is feminine, yes? And phases. So, is Moon synonymous with sin? Yes? That's a bit disheartening. So, Sun is the opposite of ego and masculine, by deduction, right? So, balance of both. Okay. The Moon controls mechanical nature like the pendulum of a clock governs the movement of the clock so the moon all of mechanical nature is feminine um, and so the, the moon for this planet is is like that it's the uh, it's the oscillating um, in its different phases so for example full moon obviously all you need to do is look at the statistics. Suicides go up. Murders go up. Violent crime goes up. Domestic domestic uh, violence goes up. All sorts of problems increase when the moon is full. And that is so because the moon has no, no light of its own. The moon only shines because it's reflecting sunlight. Sunlight pure sunlight that comes from the sun is direct, it's objective, it's unmediated. But as soon as you bounce sunlight off the moon, now it's reflected, it's mediated. And the moon is mechanical. The moon's movement is mechanical, its nature is mechanical. It governs and controls mechanical nature on this planet. Um, Again, like the pendulum of a clock governs the movements. So therefore, the light of the moon is subjective. The pure light is now subjective, and that's what and it's 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 much dimmer than the sun, but in the full moon, it has its strongest expression. So it it has the strongest expression of mechanical nature during the full moon. Ergo, the werewolf uh, legend, the werewolf archetype, when man becomes the animal and the man comes out howling at the moon. And we talked about all those statistics, right? So um, let's not um, get caught up in the... um, Let's not get caught up in the masculine-feminine aspect of this, because this can very quickly degenerate into something which is judged as misogyny, or anti-female, or what have you. The reality is that all of manifest reality is feminine. Divine Mother Nature, right? It's Mother Nature on the mechanical level, Mother Nature on the divine level, it's all, it's all feminine. the masculine is the is the spark the masculine is just the 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 spark the seed that that fecundates the body of the divine mother in much the same way uh that one sperm fertilizes the egg and creates a human being but the male contribution is one's spermatozoa the body is actually grows out of the body of the woman, that the new baby grows out of the body of the woman. Everything is feminine. Now, of course, again, because everything is feminine, in order for everything to be to exist, it must, it must adhere to the law of three masculine, feminine and union of masculine and feminine. But the masculine is just a spark. It's just a seed. That's planted in the feminine, and out of that grows everything that we experience in nature. So yes, of course, we all have masculine and feminine inside of us. And in order for us to achieve the higher levels on the path, we must work with the Divine Mother Kundalini inside of us and raise her up the spinal column so that she can reunite with the Divine Masculine in the Crown Chakra and and the fires of divine feminine unite with the fires of divine masculine and give rise to the fire of the fire and the light of lights of the cosmic christ the divine androgen which is masculine and feminine in union eternal union both masculine and feminine that's the cosmic Christ. it's it's androgynous and it just makes sense you have the divine feminine energy and divine masculine energy, and if you unite them, then you give rise to the you give rise to the Christ. The Christ child is born among the the manger of the animal mind. some another way to put it. And interestingly enough, if we want to talk about that particular allegory, the allegory of the birth of Christ on December twenty fifth, uh, the three wise men, the three kings bring their gifts and come to pay homage. They follow the star, the pentagram above the manger, and they they, they bring their three gifts. What are the three gifts? The Three wise men, the three kings. One who is a king is one who is a master of the land, master of the kingdom. And he brings with him the, his gifts from his kingdom. And yes, in the Bible, there are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But in us, what are our three gifts? We talked about them tonight. What are our human resources? Our mind, our heart, and our body. That is our kingdom. That is our kingdom. And if we are to be a master of our kingdom, to be a master of our domain, to quote Seinfeld, we need to be master of our heart, and a master of our mind, and a master of our body. Those are our gifts. Now, do we bring our gifts to the innermost intimate Christ, to the Christ child being born inside of us? Are we we wise men and women? Because That innermost intimate Christ, through our innermost being, borrowed this body from Mother Earth in order for it to be a three-dimensional spacesuit, so he could be here and now in three-dimensional space, performing works, experiencing, learning, but also doing the great work working with the alm of life and plus helping others and suffering and all the rest of it everything that we are here to do all the thousand shocks that flesh is heir to and uh all the sea of troubles and everything else that's uh that's mentioned in the uh, in the uh, uh, hamlet soliloquy So again, we come back to it and say, "What is what is the state of our kingdom?" And a wise man, a wise king, a benevolent king, would would see to it that his that his kingdom was free of the denizens of the darkness, and it wasn't haunted by the demons, and it wasn't under the spell of a dragon, or it wasn't under the thumb of a dragon, like. Uh, Lake Town in uh, *The Hobbit*, which is under the uh, is under constant threat uh, from Smaug. So a wise king would send heroes down into the dungeon, down into the mountain, and vanquish the the darkness which threatens the kingdom. That's the those are the actions of a wise king. Those are the actions of a wise man and a and a uh, uh, great king so that he can cleanse his kingdom, cleanse his land. And then he can travel, following the star of the pentagram, to the to the birth of the inner Christ, the intimate Christ, and give the gifts of his kingdom, bestow them, present them to the innermost intimate Christ, and say, here, I have cleansed my kingdom for you, now come and rule my kingdom come and perform your great deeds, your great works in my kingdom. Cassandra asks, the peace that passed all understanding must be full acceptance, which is completion. The peace that passed all understanding must be Full Acceptance, which is Completion. If we comprehend what you're asking there, Completion... Acceptance alone is not Completion. Acceptance is Acceptance. That's the starting point. It does acceptance doesn't mean that we no longer work on ourselves, because we accept ourselves as we are. If someone is a uh, serial killer and they recognize that they are, um, she says, "Pasea, pasea, or past passes." Um, Acceptance is when you are at peace with your karma You are at peace with the suffering Okay, acceptance to ego deaths Yeah, okay So if you are accepting that you need to eliminate your ego And accepting that you need to die before you die That's the beginning Then you can do the work now you can begin to do the work. You can work with the Alm of life. If you accept that that's what you need to do, now you can begin to do it. If you, if you don't accept that that's what you need to do, you won't do it. Simple as that. You can't do what you don't accept. You need to do. It just won't work. Because your egos will be fighting you constantly, every step of the way. And you'll be clinging to that if you don't accept that they have to go. So you'll you'll face all that struggle, and it would be it'll be far too far too difficult. Acceptance is the beginning. Peace is not. Remember, peace is not a uh, an outcome. Peace is the way. So if we we've talked about this, we described this previously as being able to find uh, the center of the storm, the eye of the storm, or being able to. Um, Uh, be in the lighthouse um, while the captain on the ship is uh, trying to navigate the storm. But you want to recognize that your true self is the lighthouse and the, the lighthouse keeper. But the lighthouse keeper merely directs the light. Your innermost intimate Christ, the being of your being, is the light. And it's the light in the lighthouse which the captain of the ship needs to guide him. So, your innermost directs the light, and your captain follows the light, the captain on the ship, and that's how he avoids the rocks, and he avoids perishing on the rocks in the middle of the storm. So, um, But the captain can accept that he's lost at sea. The captain can accept that he's in the middle of the storm. Um, And yet he he can also accept that it's the lighthouse that he has to follow otherwise he's doomed he that he can't he can't ju- he can't rely on himself he himself is not qualified he alone is not qualified to make it through the storm so he turns to the lighthouse he turns to the light and he he puts his faith and trust in the lighthouse keeper that the lighthouse keeper is going to direct the light towards him and is going to help guide him um, through the uh, through the, uh, the the rough waters, right. So all of this is all of this is an essential first step, and as we discussed in our last talk, the storm is important. The suffering, the the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to that Shakespeare talks about, right? The Uh, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. That's necessary. Why? Because under sunny skies on a calm sea, the captain sails merrily along. He doesn't need the lighthouse. Does the captain turn to the lighthouse if it's a sunny day and calm seas? So, it's the storm that causes it's the it's the the, uh, the the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune which lead a captain to turn to the lighthouse and the lighthouse keeper. It's when it's when we in our life face suffering and and circumstances when we go within and we say, I'm, I can't do this, I can't do this alone, I, I, I'm not qualified, I can't face these demons, I can't. I don't know what to do, I don't know how to, I, do you know how to eliminate demons? Can you el- eliminate uh, egos from you? Only our Divine Mother can do that, but she can only do that if we've learned our lesson, if we comprehended them, if we've looked at them, observed them, studied them, analyzed them, comprehended them in meditation. If we've made the time, we've taken the effort to know ourselves, to learn our lesson, how does how do those egos cause suffering in me? and how does that in turn cause suffering for others? Why is it important for me to rid myself of this ego? and then we pray and with all of our uh, might to our divine mother, please 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 eliminate this and all other egos that we've comprehended. We, t- we give ourselves to the light, we give ourselves to the lighthouse. Why? Only because we've seen ourselves in the middle of the storm. Only because we've been the captain riding that little boat that's about to get smashed on the rocks. If it's not for the storm, if it's not for the rocks, if it's not for the boat, if it's not for that, we don't turn to the light. That's why comfort and security are not our friends. Look at the people around you. Maybe they're close to you, maybe they're not. in in the in other people around you, look at other people in the world, look at the people who are surrounded, living in the lap of luxury. Are they doing the psychological work on themselves? Do most people you know who are wealthy and sort of self made men and women and and so on and so forth, do they have radical humility? Or are the waters smooth sailing for them in the sunny skies, and they don't even think about the lighthouse. They don't even they don't even think about the light because they're merrily driving their they're merrily uh, sailing their boat, their ship, their yacht. When we meditate on our life, and we can do retrospection meditation, the past day. The past week, the past month, year, two years, five years, decade, twenty years, half a century, our entire life. In fact, you can take uh, retrospection meditation further than that. You can retrospect into previous lives. There are some mantras that will help you do that. In fact, if you listen to the Papagino song from Mozart's The Magic Flute, that song, uh, the one that goes pa, 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 ma, 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 if you perform that mantra mentally as you are retrospecting in your life uh, and, and you take yourself into deep meditation, and you use that mantra mentally. Um, you can use that mantra to help um, stimulate memories of past lives, and also memories from your childhood that you may not remember. But uh, the the those sounds, and that's why Mozart put those that mantra into his work, The Magic Flute. Magic Flute is actually uh, a, uh, an ancient Egyptian initiation from the mystery schools uh, that's, that's in disguise as a, quote, play uh, opera, operetta for children. It's not an opera for, operetta for children. There, it's one of the most esoteric works of music, uh, works of uh, um, musical theater ever created. It is so profoundly esoteric that it is, uh, it can't, we cannot begin to do justice to it now. It is something that um, you should uh, uh, make it part of your uh, mission in life to see it live, or even if you only can see it a recording of it, but make sure you get the subtitles. Make sure that it's sung in the original German, in the original way, but that you have... The subtitles so that you can read what it, what is actually being said. It's very important. And um, our favorite recording of it is the uh, Coventry House, the one with um, um, Danielle De is uh, who sings the Queen of the Night aria. Um, it's it's a fantastic production, and it's uh, it's incredible. And if you can put yourself into a meditative state and listen to it and watch it. Um, it can take you places. Um, Irwin says, surrender comes to mind. And many people react poorly to the word surrender because it denotes to them a loss of agency and a loss of sovereignty. But we definitely... Uh, Know where you're coming from when you suggest that word Um, As we've as we've uh, shared earlier this evening and we just uh, put it up again here You don't have to Acceptance surrendering to the moment surrendering to circumstances surrendering to your innermost being surrendering to your to the lessons of your divine mother um, yes but also serving because surrender there's an there's an active aspect of surrender but surrender is uh, surrender has a dark passive kind of connotation to it Um, yeah um, we'll work on that in a second uh, Cassandra Um, service is better than surrender because to surrender it's almost like you give up to surrender you're like "Yeah, yeah yeah okay you know what I surrender I go with the flow anything goes whatever It it has that, it has that darkness in it. But when you serve, when you serve the light, don't surrender to the light. You serve the light. You to serve your innermost being. To be his instrument, to be his messenger, to be his hands, to be his vessel, and to be grateful for the lessons. To be grateful for the service. To be grateful for the opportunity to serve your Lord and Master. Because life is so unnerving. If a servant doesn't have a soul to wait upon, to to wait upon, to serve. Just imagine, you know, you you go to a restaurant and and the the maitre d' surrenders. What kind of service are you going to get? The maitre d' surrendered. <laughs> right? The maitre d' has to serve. Yes, it's an active role. Um, but having said that, surrender to the light and send send out from our innermost. Um. Yeah. Okay. So there's so obviously there are aspects of this word surrender that that are incorporated in this idea of service. But it but we don't have to say surrender. I would much rather serve. I'd um um I'd much rather serve than than just uh, surrender. Um, Cassandra asked for a link. We're going to see. If we can uh, dig one up really quick here. Um, now, keep in mind, you might be able to watch, you might be able to watch um, the whole thing on. Uh, here's the link to the Queen of the Night aria, anyway. All right, so Cassandra, there's a link to the Queen of the uh, Night aria, at least. That's the production that I recommend. It's the, um, yeah, Diana Damro and um, uh, Coventry Garden, the Royal Opera House uh, of England. Now, the question is do they have the entire. Do they have the whole thing—the magic flute, uh, full opera? Okay. According to this, my name is Oliver According to this, this is supposedly. A full opera. Supposedly. So you'll have to take that with a grain of salt. We don't know uh, if that's true or not. But... um, Okay, this is this is a this is not Diana Damrau though singing. So this is not the uh, this is Coventry Garden. This is the Royal Opera House, but this is not the uh, this is not the performance that uh, that I would recommend. But anyway, you can it does have the subtitles, and you can watch clearly. You can get the. Uh, You can certainly get the gist of it because it looks like the the complete opera is available online uh, on YouTube. So I hope that helps. Um, I wonder if uh, we can play this. Yeah, I want to get to... uh, This is what... uh, Yeah, here. So, spoiler alert! This is where uh, Papagino meets Papagina, and this is the song that I was talking you telling you about the um, the uh, the. Papa and mama and Papa 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 Gino and, and um, um, So on and so forth That's that's where they sing those uh, the, the mantra so you can get an idea of of the, um, the intonation and the um, The rhythm and so on so uh, hopefully that's uh, that's valuable to you guys so you have the uh, links for that um, Does anybody else have any other questions or comments or any uh, Um, anything that we want to cover we have about uh, 10 minutes 12 minutes left if anybody wants to ask a question or make a comment while you still have us on here Um, thank you all for uh, taking the time and uh, spending it with us this evening as always um, we've been contemplating the possibility of doing uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but at 12 noon, our time. So, in other words, we've been um, contemplating doing a time where people in Europe will be able to uh, listen in. And uh, we're thinking about doing Tuesdays and Thursdays, which means that we'll be live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um that's probably enough. That's probably more than enough for us, especially if we do three hours in a, each time. That's, that's quite a bit. Um, so we'll see if we uh, start doing that next week. We'll see how that goes. Otherwise, as usual, uh, if you follow us on Facebook, if you uh, subscribe on uh, YouTube, that is certainly uh, beneficial to us. If you hit subscribe and hit the notification bell, if you're watching on YouTube, um, it's very helpful to us um, in terms of the uh, YouTube algorithm. We're this is very early going on in, in this uh, live stream thing, so this is very just the beginning. Um, but we feel that uh, we do have um, important. you do have an important message to to share, and we feel that our focus is very much. the things that matter on the practical real world down to earth things that are going on in the world and trying to help people cut through the clutter and cut through the bullshit and get to the the essence and the real meat and potatoes of of the age that we're living in and the real meat and potatoes of spirituality itself Um, you won't hear us talking about crystals and reiki and all sorts of stuff you won't hear us talking about there are many 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 other people who are much, much more knowledgeable about those things. Um, We are here to essentially, with our experience and our knowledge, our first-hand intimate knowledge of the Black Lodge and its ways, we are here to express uh, how individuals such as yourself can free yourselves from the grips of the Black Lodge and free yourselves from the calamity and all the confusion and all the cacophony of distraction and um, the bread and circuses of uh, of the Kali Yuga so that you can position yourself in the eye of the storm find the lighthouse within and orient yourself in the ways that we discussed uh, tonight and work with the Aum of life, work with that spiral work with that heroic journey uh, for yourself for the sake of others and the sake of the end of suffering for humanity because we really are we really are facing the end times here, this is the beginning of the end and it's no longer if but when, and we nobody else can prepare us but ourselves. We have to participate. We have to cooperate with our innermost uh, in that process. We have to. We if we came here to do something, we we're running out of time to do it, and um, we don't have the time and the luxury to waste energy. Uh, and waste our precious consciousness and resources on you know anger and frustration and fear and blame and victimizing and 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 theorizing about the future of humanity and this and that and the other thing and all of this politics and 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 technology and all of the other distractions yes we can pay marginal attention to them yes we don't have to stick our head in the ground we don't have to go off and live on a mountain that's not the answer but at very least the very least remember day in and day out moment to moment one eye in one eye out observe yourself remember yourself remember your Divine Mother and observe yourself and recognize that everything out there as a reflection and a mirror of what's going on inside in your own subconscious mind and your psyche and that anything out there that's drawing negativity and drawing ego up out of you treat that moment as an opportunity and treat that crisis and treat that suffering and treat that pain and circumstance and that individual treat it all as a gift as a blessing as the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune as the crazy storm that you're that you're trying to surf in your little boat That that's the cause for you to connect with your inner light and your lighthouse keeper and then you you be a servant of that light yes but you also in that moment you follow the guidance right you follow the direction you follow where that light is uh telling you to go and not go you follow the lighthouse that's what's going to keep you from being smashed on the rocks and sinking to the bottom of the ocean to to oblivion to davy jones locker if you're a fan of the pirates of the caribbean movies i mean use whatever mythology is available to you that's going to drive this home for you emotionally that's why these mythologies exist that's why these stories exist right to so that we can connect <clears throat> with characters and and yeah and and stories that speak to us that speak to our heart that illustrate to us in like flesh and bone that we can identify with and say yes okay i get it i get it and that's why we shared with you the magic flute and that's why we will you know in the future we'll be speaking about different different stories and movies and properties and mythologies because um, we're here to help you um, I mean let's face it we, we're in our life we've had many many storms to navigate and and it's always our inner light it's always been our which has helped us navigate and it's always been Atlas who has Directed that light in attention and shown us where to go and told us where to go and we followed And the only reason why we're here today and the only reason why we're able to share with you what we can share with you is because We serve the light and and if we in in doing so we can be a source of light for you to help you find your inner light and follow your inner source of light, then then that's why we're here. So that you, you too can have that inner lighthouse and that inner lighthouse keeper and that inner light inside of you to serve and follow and help you avoid the rocks. Because the storm is not on its way. The storm is already here. The storm is already here. And frankly, Everything on the media and everything on TV and everything around us is, is all there to distract us from that fact. To, to, to create a sandstorm for us to, 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 uh, to hypnotize and, and distract us with so that we don't focus on the fact that we are all at risk of being smashed on the rocks. Erwin has one last comment here. I'm going to read it to you. Surrender in context of our life and will to the Divine Guidance. The will being our egotistical thinking, to better serve. Thank you, Alice. Surrender in context of our life and will to the Divine Guidance. Our life and will. Surrender in context of surrendering our life and will to the Divine Guidance the will, being our egotistical thinking, to to better serve. Will is an interesting one, because there's the will of our innermost being, willpower, the the causal body. And then there's ill will, that's the will of our egos. It's a will that's twisted and corrupted, degenerated by our egos. So, um, will is, you know, will is subtle. That's why it's so important when we observe ourselves, whose will are we following? Is it the will of our innermost being or is it the will of some ego? Is it our will? In other words, the will of our egos, I want this, I want to do this. It's my will that this should happen. Or is it the will of our innermost being that we should do something and we should surrender that and uh, let go of that? Yes, being mindful of will, in other words. Yeah, being mindful of will. Observe. Observe. Observe what goes on inside of you. Observe what goes on. Mind, heart, and body. And will, willpower, is. if you observe yourself, ask yourself this question. Is willpower a thought? Is willpower an emotion? Is willpower a sensation? And the answer is willpower is none of those things. Willpower is will. It's the causal body. It's not the mental body, it's not the astral body, it's not the etheric body, and it's not the physical body. Will comes from another body. The causal body. Will is the cause of things, is it not? You must have the will to do something in order to do it. There must be will there, behind it. Now the question is, is it the will of our innermost, or is it the will of an ego? Is it ill will? Is it will that's been subjected to, and filtered, and mediated. No one can tell you that. Only you can tell you that. Only yourself can tell you that. But yourself won't be able to tell you that if you're not paying attention. If you're not pointing the light of the lighthouse where it needs to go this is an interesting aspect of consciousness consciousness is bi-directional consciousness is like is is like the beam of a lighthouse it's like a spotlight anything that you observe is like a beam of light when you point your consciousness at something you're you're pointing the light a beam of light at it so you're illuminating it you can see it but it can also see you it can feel you that's why you observe in nature when you look like animals animals can feel your gaze you can experience this have you ever been out in public and all of a sudden you feel kind of you feel like you're being watched and you turn around and sure enough someone's watching you someone's looking at you you can feel it you can feel the gaze you can feel the gaze of consciousness and other people and other things can feel that gaze too because it's like a beam of light the beam of consciousness so So I think that's probably as good a place as any to, uh, to say good night. We've been at it for three hours. Uh, thank you for joining us. Unless there's any other questions really quickly, we're going to uh, say good night and thank you all for joining us again this evening and, um, and, and, uh, follow us, click a like or, uh, uh, click, click subscribe. If you're watching on uh, YouTube and, um, and then you can, um, stay abreast of, uh, of our next, our and our next live, um, live stream, live event. Thank you so much, and um, have a good evening. God bless.